0: I'd like you to turn to the first epistle of Peter, chapter 20, chapter 1, and verse 22. You'll find this on page 1222. And our text reads as follows, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned Unmixed, genuine, sincere love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart. Fervently, last Lord's Day morning, the final day of last year, 2023, we thought of what does the Lord require of us. We described it as a manifesto, a charter for the year ahead. And we desired that that would be written on our hearts. What does God require of us? Can you remember? The first, and the order is important, the first point was to walk humbly with thy God. Are you doing that? Seven days into the new year, are you walking humbly before your God, having a high view of him, and a low view of yourself the second was to fear the lord thy god you can only walk humbly if you have a fear you can only fear if you walk humbly the third point was having walked with him and feared him then there was legitimate grounds to love the lord thy god to serve him and To obey him. So far, all these points are to do with our relationship with God. To walk humbly with thy God. To fear thy God. To love thy God. To serve thy God. To obey him. I thought Christianity was all about doing good. It was about our relationship with others. Ah, But you can only have the right relationship with others when you have a humble fearing loving relationship with your god that's where it all begins this year where is your heart are you walking with god we heard what he required of us but only when We are walking in his ways. Can we do justly and love mercy? That's our relationship to others. Humility, that's the core. Get the order. Humble your heart. Then fear God. Then we can love God and walk in his ways. There's no exceptions no exemptions everybody here this morning these are god's requirements of your life your heart your hands and your feet it requires all of you and so we turn to 1 peter chapter 1. our title this morning is taken from this phrase obeying the truth verse 22 have you obeyed the truth well there might be some here you haven't grown up in Sunday school you have not got what we might call a Christian family and so you don't know what the truth is it's my job to try and make it plain and clear what is the truth Maybe you want to obey the truth, but you don't know what that means. So that will be our purpose this morning. Peter says, Simon Peter, the Apostle, see that ye love one another. But how do I love one another if I haven't obeyed the truth? And I can only obey the truth if I've had my soul purified. We shall work together through this verse together. You see, the Christian life, becoming a Christian, is really obeying a call. God calls. Has he called you? Has he called you out of darkness into light? Maybe up until now, all the way through your life, you've not obeyed the truth. You've not obeyed the call. Let's just think of a few men and women who obeyed the call of God immediately. Think of Abraham. There he was, worshipping idols with his father on the other side of the river, as it says. And he was called, he heard a voice. I don't know whether it was an audible voice whether the voice was within his heart and mind, but for certain he heard God calling, Get out! Leave behind your old life of idols. Your old life in that city. Leave it. Ah, but where am I going? Abraham didn't know. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what his life would be like. But the call was get out. And he trusted, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he believed God's promises. Do you know today, if you hear God's call, I can't tell you where you'll be living in a year's time. I hope it's here. I can't tell you about ten years time and Abraham lived in many places didn't he he went through the wilderness he went through the desert land he went on a journey through life and he didn't know where the tent where the pegs of the tent would be put but he believed that God would be with him and he was Abraham He obeyed God's call. Hearing his voice, he got up, he left behind much, and he obeyed God. What about Moses? He heard the voice of God. He'd grown up in a palace. He'd grown up in riches and splendor and comfort and caviar. And the Lord called him. The Lord called him to go back to his own people. He didn't belong there. He wasn't one of them. And the Lord said, go to be with my people. And we read that Moses would rather suffer affliction with his people, the Lord's people, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses, he got up, he obeyed the call, I need to be with God's people, not with the world, not identified with the world, a member of this club and that club, an employee of this firm, going to this school, where do you belong? Moses said, I belong with the Lord's people. I identify with them. The one that the Lord had called and he obeyed. What about Samuel? Samuel. Young Samuel. The voice came. He didn't know what it was. Came again. He put it off. He was confused, maybe. He wasn't sure now was the time. Yet the Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel, and humbly, attentively, he responded obediently and he said those words Here am I, here am I. Is the Lord calling you like Abraham to get out, like Moses to get up, and like Samuel? to listen to the voice of God. The Lord would have Samuel to be obedient. What about Esther? Esther, she heard God's call. She had a very difficult task. Her task needed courage. It needed faith. She had to stand before a powerful king, Ahasuerus. And she had to plead for her own people. She risked her life. But she trusted. The Lord gave her courage. And the Lord saved his people. Esther obeyed the call of God. Will you? Do you hear the voice of God pleading with your heart? Have you obeyed the truth? The truth is a call. The truth is a voice. The truth is Christ. Have you obeyed the truth? What about Deborah? You can read of her in Judges chapter 5. She had a call of God. The call was to awake, to rise up, and she arose. She was called a mother of Israel, a mother in Israel. She became a teacher. Not a preacher, but she was to rule and instruct a very sinful, idolatrous people at that time. And they had turned their back upon God and Deborah. Deborah led them to love their God again. She obeyed the call. Five people, three men, two women, I could have chosen others. They obeyed the truth, the call of God. Becoming a Christian is hearing God's voice in the Bible, in preaching, in Sunday school, and not disobeying, not excusing, not leaving it off to another day. Never say another day will do for Jesus. Come to him. Confess your sin. He will not cast you out. Here's Simon Peter. I'm sure, in these verses that we've read, he's thinking of his own life. He was thinking of the time when he left the nets. It was a feeble, fragile faith. This man who became one of the Lord's three closest disciples. And yet the Lord had to encourage him, deepen faith. He denied Christ, as we know, three times. He said, no, I don't know that man. I don't know him. Have you denied Christ? In your workplace, you could have stood up and said, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for me. He shed his blood for me. But your lips have been silent. You're a secret disciple. Denying Christ. Peter wanted to be a secret disciple in that moment. When the moment came for him to say, no, I'm not ashamed of my Lord, he wouldn't speak of him. What about us? You've spoken of Christ this last year. You do love him. You do trust him. You pray to him. But you haven't really obeyed the truth. Denying Christ. He was taken up by his own ideas, his own thoughts. He thought that what was good for him in that moment was to deny his Savior. Let's not do that this year. He lacked the humility to say Christ first. Simon Peter came first in that moment. But by the time he writes these two epistles, the Lord has humbled him. The turning point was the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And now he's that wonderful combination of a humble man and a lion-hearted, courageous man. A man prepared to stand before kings and before rulers and to speak well of Christ. He denied him in the moment, but now he lives for him in his life because he's obeyed the truth. Well, three points briefly this morning. What is faith in God? Faith in God. That's what it says here. It says that we can have faith in God. Let's look at that. and Then we shall consider what it means to obey the truth and then to love the brethren. Faith in God. That's the description. Abraham. He had faith in God. Moses, faith in God. Samuel, Esther, Deborah. They had faith in God. Verse 21, who by him do believe in God. That's faith that raised him up from the dead. You see, Simon Peter believed. He put his faith in the risen Christ. And he gave him the glory and his faith and our faith and hope might be in God. Verse 21, faith in God. Do you have faith in God? Or is your faith in yourself? Well, Peter's explained these things. Go back to verse 18. It's very plain. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed. He's looking back in his life. What was it that saved Simon Peter? Was it something that perishes? My faith. My faith is up and down. My faith is fickle. My faith can't save me. No, I need faith in God. Faith that is given. I was not Redeemed by perishable things that can be bought. Some people try to buy religion. They try to buy their faith by doing charity work. By making idols and statues and having things in their life made of man's hands. No, we weren't redeemed. We weren't redeemed with such things. For the Jews, it was traditions. They'd received them, hand-me-downs from their fathers. They felt that if they kept the laws, if they kept the traditions, God would be pleased. No, that's not the basis of salvation. Salvation is something far more precious. We were redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of God. Christ, something far more powerful, something eternal. The blood of Christ is the only basis upon which we can be redeemed. The blood of Christ and faith in Christ are the only foundation that we can move forward with this year. What did the blood of Christ accomplish? Cleansing. Purifying. Look at your life today and mine. Just think of your sin. Your worst sin. Your besetting sin. The sin that you can't help, you think. Are you somebody that has a trouble with truth? You are an inveterate liar? Somebody that tells a half-truth? somebody that tells so-called white lies, you struggle with the truth. Christ needs to purify your life. What was needs to be no more. And you need that power that comes from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as of an innocent Lamb with no spot, no blemish. You see, that's what Christ has done. There are three words here which I want to dwell on. Three words that describe salvation. The first is back in 18. Redeemed. Something that happened in the past. Christ has redeemed his people. End of. Full stop nobody else will be redeemed who hasn't been redeemed already that's in the past redeemed bought christ has paid the price for his people he shed his blood once it doesn't keep on going on and on as the Roman Catholics say, where the blood of Christ is shed again and again. No, it's happened. Redeemed. The word means to release a slave by the ransom price being paid. There's my life. I was a slave. Under the clutches of Satan. He'd got hold of me. He had my life. He controlled me. Ah, but the Lord in time past, at Calvary, he paid the price. He ransomed me. He paid the price so that I could be delivered out of bondage, out of sin, and so that I could be put back under the rightful ownership of my real master, the one that made me. Redeemed in the past. Well, there's a second expression here. It's one of only two occasions that this word is used. They're both in 1 Peter. If you look back to 1 Peter chapter 3, you see this term, being born again. Blessed be the God and Father. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten, born again, us, again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you look at verse 23, it's mentioned again, it's translated differently. It's the same word in the Greek, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. It's in the past. For Peter, Christ had redeemed him when he died on the cross and rose again. He redeemed all of his people. All those names that the Father gave to the Son, the elect, elect before the foundation of the earth, precious, Christ died for. The transaction is complete. He knew exactly the names, the number of all his people and mission accomplished. He achieved the work. He redeemed his people. Ah, but I wasn't always a Christian. There came a time when I was born again. Birth is what we might call a natural process. We have the prospect of new birth this year and some here today. It's a natural, physical process. It's wonderful. In many ways, it's supernatural, but it's natural. It happens again and again and again. But being born again is something supernatural. It will only happen once in a Christian's life. Being born a second time, supernaturally, something that only God can do, and he does it, verse 23, through the Spirit and through his word. The Spirit and the word, they come together. There may be stirrings within a life, awakenings they come and go sometimes we might feel our guilt and our sin and then the feeling goes away but there becomes one moment one instant sometimes not known to us when we are regenerated new life is imparted the soul is regenerated up until then the stirrings they came they went but this is being born again this is when new life floods into the soul there was a time i was blind but now i can see with the apostle paul he was blind and then the scales fell off being born again redeemed in the past being born again the moment i first Believed, as Newton calls it. But then, because I've been born again, there's a third term, and the term is believing. I can only believe and have faith and obey God because he's first worked in my life. Once, I disobeyed. Once, I had no faith. Once I loved my sin, I couldn't repent. And then the Lord worked in my heart and in Simon Peter's heart. And he was born again. He was given faith and he exercised it and he obeyed the truth. He believed for the first time. The gift of faith was given to him and he believed. How does that happen? Go back to verse 21. Who? By him. It wasn't me. It wasn't me that believed. It was God that enabled me to believe. But somehow, wonderfully, I was involved by him. Do believe in God. Notice, and we'll touch on this at the end, seeing you have purified. There was something for me to do. God enabled me to believe, and as a result, I purified my soul. No, I didn't. Christ did that. But Peter uses language that from the time my soul was regenerated and I was born again and I could believe in him by the work of the Holy Spirit, by Christ working within me It was as though I purified my soul. Isn't that wonderful? The work was all done by Christ and by the Holy Spirit, yet it seems to me that the moment I first believed and obeyed the truth through the Spirit, Peter says, that my life was changed. And now I could love the brethren. This is the whole process of conversion. Notice I say, conversion is a process. Regeneration happens in an instant, but conversion for some takes time. Awakened, stirred. A sermon hits my heart. It speaks to me. I see my own sin. I see the Savior on the cross and I think he died for me. But then I go back to school and it fades. And a year goes by and I've not really put faith in Christ. I've not left my sin. But then there's a moment. Regeneration comes, then faith, then repentance, and then the life is changed. That's what he's saying. So these three terms, redeemed, being born again, and then I can exercise faith and believe and trust. And so obedience is the evidence of faith. That's what it says in verse 22. I have been purified. The moment I'm saved, I come to Christ, my sin is dealt with forever but I'm still a sinner. The consequences of my sin have been taken, the punishment, but I still sin. I've been justified, made right with God because of the work of Christ alone, but I'm still a sinner. And the work of sanctification begins in my life, and so I can obey the truth Well, what does this mean, to obey the truth? This is the work of God within my life, making my tastes, my desires more and more pleasing to God, making me more Christ-like. I start to obey the truth. I hear the word of God. I want to be with his people. I want to obey him through the waters of baptism. I want to obey him by becoming a church member not outside but inside the people of God and I obey, obey him through the spirit the work of the spirit is at conversion the work of the spirit is in sanctification and what happens I hear God's word I want to obey I couldn't obey it once Before I was a Christian, but now I've come to Christ and I hear God's word and I want to obey it. Let's look further on in this chapter, verse 24. We've not really touched on the method. The method, what is the method through which I first believed? What is the method? The method is hearing God's word. Here in God's word, verse 23, by the word of God, that's how I was born again, being born again not of a perishable seed, but of one that was imperishable, incorruptible, by the word of God which lives forever. Once saved, always saved. This word comes into the life and into the heart I believe it, I trust it, and then I can obey the truth. The word of God goes on, verse 25. The word of God, the word of the Lord, which endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. How can you obey the truth this morning? If you've never believed, You hear the call of God I've mentioned five examples of how those people in bygone days heard God's Word and they obeyed we obey when we hear God's voice and we love him and we trust him and we turn from our sin and we put our faith in him but there is another sense here's my third point And we close with this. You see, the evidence of a person that's now believed in Christ is seen in their life, and it's here in verse 22. How can I, as a pastor, see if your life is changed? You might say you're a Christian. You might fill the form and tick the box, But is there evidence? Is there evidence in your life? I don't know what happens at home. I don't know what you watch. I don't know what you read. I don't know what company you keep. For some, the evidence that they are truly believers is not immediately apparent. But here in verse 22, We see the evidence that will surely follow in the light. Seeing ye have purified your souls when you first believed, because you were born again, in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto. That's the key word. Why was this happening? Why did the Lord save you? Did he save you to sit on the shelf like a book? Did he save you to sit in the corner gathering dust? No. Each one of you is a vessel. A vessel that he will fill and use unto unfeigned love. That's an old word. It means this. Genuine, real love sincere unmistakable something that hasn't got hypocrisy this is the love of a real christian you see the evidence because they will love other christians they'll want to be with them they won't run off after the service going about their duty they'll want to talk they want to be with the lord's people unfeigned Love, Yes, sometimes after a message and we've heard the word of God, we want to be quiet. Something's been said and we've got to work it through. No problem with that. Sometimes there's a crushing burden upon us and we need to be quiet. But we're to have unfeigned, sincere love of the brethren, Imagine you get married. You get married on a particular date, and from then on your life is changed. And the next week you say to your husband or wife, you say, I really love you, but I don't want to see you for a month. And then the month goes by, and you see your wife and your loved one again, and you say, I really love you, but I don't want to see you for three months how could that be and yet people come to Christ and they say that they love the Lord with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength, and they don't love the brethren they don't come to worship as often as they can they don't want to come to the prayer meeting. They don't want to identify with the Lord's people. Unfeigned love of the brethren. That's one of the hallmarks, one of the evidences. Who by Him do believe in God. They've been converted, that raised Him up from the dead. They believe in the resurrection, and their faith and hope is in God. But they don't love other believers they don't want to gather to pray to worship to minister to other people I'm okay thanks I come twice a month once a month I find where the offering is I do read my Bible occasionally but I've got no love for the brethren That can't be. That's a person who says they're a Christian, but there's no evidence in their life. Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another. Peter goes on. These are the hallmarks. There's three of them. There'll be sincere love, and that love, as was powerfully explained to us, On Thursday evening if you were here or listening in there is a constraining love in every Christian's life they are not their own they will live their life as that missionary told us in Kenya on Thursday evening because the love of Christ constrains us we must have a love for others, and for the Lord. Any person here that's truly a Christian, you'll want to be with the Lord's people. You'll have a love that's rightly motivated, a constraining love. It will be genuine. You'll have the right agenda and motive. And this love, thirdly, will be from a pure, well-motivated heart. What's your reason to be in the Christian life? Why do you do what you do? Why do you read the word of God? Why have you come here to worship this morning? Is it out of a pure heart? Do you have a heart that truly loves Christ? Because if you do, you will also love the brethren brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through trials and challenges and experiences. We should find it easy, shouldn't we? Because we go through the same. But why wouldn't we draw near to someone? Well, because we don't know. Because we don't see them. We don't know what's happening in their life. We're not living life with them. Unfeigned love Of the brethren you have purified your lives you've come to Christ you've obeyed the truth through the work of the Holy Spirit changing you regenerating your life a second birth and now that is unto it's because God's purpose is that you would love the brethren see that you love one another isn't this for us this year do you know I pray that this church would halve in number but the love would double we would be four times more effective if there was greater love within this church because we would be obeying the Lord we would be obeying the truth if there was more interest that was genuine in each other's lives, more practical love, more love that was felt and was shown. Isn't this what the Lord would have us this year to do? What does God require of us? We've thought of that. And now, what would the Lord have us to obey? He would have us to obey the truth. And this is the truth in every believer's life that we must love. The brethren, may the Lord help us to follow these things carefully in the year ahead.